Welcome to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast with your host, astrologer and author, April Elliott Kent. Hello, invisible friend, April here, and the date today is October 30th, 2023. Welcome to episode 206 of the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. This week, Venus trine Uranus makes Halloween more exciting with both tricks and treats. The Sun opposes Jupiter, Venus opposes Neptune, and Mercury opposes Uranus. Saturn turns direct, and the last quarter moon in Leo favors bringing creative projects to the finish line. Plus, I answer a listener question about how two people's charts indicate their helpfulness to each other in business. The week begins with Venus's trine to Uranus on October 31st at 5.51 a.m. Pacific Time at 21 degrees, 36 minutes Virgo and Taurus. As I said, this combination brings both tricks and treats to our Halloween celebration. Tricks being symbolized by Uranus, treats being symbolized by Venus. This is a lovely aspect for relationships because it sort of renews our interest and excitement in our relationships. It's also a really good aspect for making or managing money and specifically coming up with new ideas for doing that. New interests will often show up when Venus is in good aspect to Uranus. And the Sabian symbols for this combination talk about knowing what you stand for and how that can actually improve relationships. The Sabian symbol for Venus is 22 Virgo, a royal coat of arms. What do you stand for? What is your motto? What symbols do you use to represent you in your life? And the Sabian symbol for Uranus is 22 Taurus, a white dove over troubled waters. So between that and the fact that we have a lovely flowing trine aspect between these two planets does suggest to me there is a possibility to smooth over any recent troubles with the people close to us. On November 2nd at 10.02 p.m. Pacific Time, the Sun in Scorpio opposes Jupiter in Taurus at 10 degrees and 30 minutes of those signs. The Sabian symbol for the Sun is 11 Scorpio, a drowning man rescued. And the Sabian symbol for Jupiter is 11 Taurus, a woman sprinkling flowers. Both symbols are about caretaking. We see a man being rescued from drowning. We see flowers being maintained by a woman who waters them. The sun in Scorpio, which is ruled by Mars, is kind of a first responder. And it does want to rescue the defenseless. It also loves a makeover. It loves to take something that's a complete mess or looks like it really should be thrown out. And make it into something useful and beautiful. Jupiter in Taurus at this opposition is a little more about keeping things going and healthy and beautiful. The opposition 
speaks of the balance between the two. Keeping things going so that they don't get to a point where they have to be rescued. Venus opposes Neptune on November 3rd at 3.06 p.m. Pacific Time at 25 degrees 10 minutes of Virgo and Pisces. I think I've said before that Venus and Virgo has very high standards in relationship. It generally enjoys giving things its very best effort and being of service and so on. Neptune in Pisces is more about meeting people where they are, whereas Venus in Virgo is always looking to see how things can be improved. Neptune in Pisces is about enjoying them, appreciating them, and accepting them more or less as they are. The opposition aspect is one that looks for balance between these two. It's about honoring your expectations for yourself to do your very best, to give your best effort, but knowing that some days you're going to be capable of a better effort than you are on other days. And when it comes to Neptune in Pisces, it's wonderful to take people as they are, to appreciate ourselves and be forgiving of ourselves. But there is something to be said, too, for not letting ourselves completely off the hook. And Venus and Virgo is good for coming along and saying, well, maybe you could be a little more diligent with that. or try to bring yourself up to a somewhat higher level. Generally speaking, this is a corrective aspect in our relationships or when it comes to money. We might have an awakening about something that is missing or has gone awry in a relationship or in our financial matters. And the opposition aspect says it's not too late to make some changes. On November 4th, at three minutes past midnight, Saturn stations to turn direct at zero degrees, 30 minutes Pisces, on the Sabian symbol, one Pisces, a public market. Saturn has been retrograde since June 17th. It turned retrograde at seven degrees, 12 minutes Pisces. So now that it's moving direct, it's going to cover the same territory initially that it did between March 7th and June 17th. Saturn's retrograde times are good for introspection about what you want to achieve and why you want to achieve it. It's often a time when we're out of step with people in authority, whether it's a boss or a parent, because during these times, we're really looking within and looking to ourselves for a sense of authority. Saturn turning direct says that it's time to begin to move forward again with our career efforts. The Sabian symbol, a public market, evokes a crowded space, including a crowded marketplace. And there is sometimes the need to advertise 
in order to make ourselves stand out. But there is room for us to stand out, particularly if we use Piscean methods. So network, being pleasant with others, showing consideration for what others need, and genuine interest in what they're up to. And most of all, by moving in a direction that is truly in tuned with what's important to you, not just the thing that's going to earn you the most money or get you the most status. Later on November 4th at 9.07 a.m. Pacific Time, Mercury opposes Uranus at 21 degrees and 26 minutes Scorpio and Taurus. Mercury is on the Sabian symbol 22 Scorpio, hunters starting out for ducks. And Uranus is on 22 Taurus, white dove over troubled waters. Now, aren't those two very contradictory symbols, both involving birds? It's about finding balance, as all opposition aspects are. Mercury in Scorpio is quite focused, even a little obsessive sometimes, when it's really set its sights on doing something. Scorpio was ruled by Mars, and this is one of the signs where we don't tend to be super talkative. But when we do speak, it can be very much to the point, and that can be interpreted by others as a little bit aggressive. Uranus and Taurus, on the other hand, is on the degree of a dove, symbol of peace, and offers the promise of using words to smooth over conflict. Now, Sometimes when we want to resolve a conflict, it means initially being very straightforward and not pulling any punches. And sometimes feelings can get hurt, but sometimes it is necessary to clear the air. I'm wondering whether this will bring a more tranquil tone to the news, especially relating to conflict in the Middle East. By the time you listen to this, the situation could have changed quite a lot anyway. But even if it doesn't, this suggests that the key to resolving conflict in our own lives, in our own personal relationships, comes down to hearing both sides in the conflict and coming up with innovative solutions, which is what Uranus is very good at. And that is where the possibility of resolution and peace could come from. And now for the moon report for the week of October 30th. It begins with the last quarter moon at 12 degrees, 39 minutes Leo on November 5th at 1.37 a.m. Pacific Time. The moon is on one of my very favorite Sabian symbols, 13 Leo, an old sea captain rocking. And the sun is on Sabian symbol 13 Scorpio, an inventor experimenting. The last quarter moon point, of course, is a point of energy and of movement. 
It is the time in the lunar cycle where we have a lot more awareness about whatever it was that we conceived at the new moon. And now we need to make one final push to reach some kind of goal that we set forth for ourselves at the new moon, which was that solar eclipse in Libra. The last quarter moon point is, of course, square sun, as it always is at the last quarter. But the sun is still in a conjunction with Mars. So the moon is squaring both of those points. And the sun and Mars are opposed Jupiter. And moon is square Jupiter. So there's a lot of energy to motivate us to wrap things up. This can be about finishing particularly creative projects that were begun at the Libra solar eclipse. The sun's Sabian symbol here, an inventor experimenting, is a symbol of innovation and being willing to approach things in a fresh way. And with the last quarter, it always feels a little bit that we are pushing through some kind of obstruction. And Uranus promises that doing things in a new way is the way to break through where we have been stuck. It is a very energetic last quarter because of this T-square with the sun, moon, Mars, and Jupiter. But the moon's Sabian symbol speaks, just as the last quarter moon does, of reviewing, of thinking things over before we act, not acting impulsively. The first quarter moon is the one where we act very instinctually. It's the point where we say, I don't know exactly what I need to do, really, about a particular situation, but I'm just going to do something. I'm going to follow my instincts. The last quarter is that time of holding back, looking at what we know about the situation up to now, and only then acting in a more considered way. This is the last quarter moon in a lunar phase family cycle that began on August 8th, 2021 at the new moon at 16 degrees, 14 minutes, Leo. At that time, something was initiated. Something began. We conceived of an idea, perhaps. It wouldn't have been clear then exactly what it was. Usually we can only identify it really in hindsight. Then nine months later, at that first quarter moon on May 8th, 2022, at 18 degrees and 23 minutes Leo, some kind of action moved this matter forward, whether consciously or somewhat unconsciously. At the full moon at 16 degrees, 40 minutes Leo, on February 5th, 2023, We saw the bigger picture. Everything was fully illuminated. And now at the last quarter, it is time to make that final push on whatever was begun in August 2021. So go back, look through your journals, look through your appointment diaries, and try to figure out what has been unfolding over this lunar phase family cycle. Let's look at the void of course moon periods for this week. On October 30th, the moon in Taurus trines Pluto at 4.35 a.m. Pacific time. It's void of course then for about three and a half hours and then enters Gemini at 8.08 a.m. Pacific time. 
as they like to say, slow and steady wins the race. And that is true when the moon is in Taurus. We don't necessarily move real quickly over this two and a half day period, but by just steadfastly moving bit by bit, piece by piece, it is possible to win the race. And in this case, with the trying to Pluto, the slow and steady approach is what will lead to more control and more of a sense of power over our own destiny. This trine takes place in earth signs, so there is some sense of completion of practical matters, things about work or about money or some physical project that you're trying to accomplish. On November 1st, the moon in Gemini squares Neptune at 5.36 a.m. Pacific time. It's void, of course, for about nine hours and then enters Cancer at 2.30 p.m. This is a combination and a void, of course, moon period that's really about getting out of our heads and into our hearts, our spirits understanding, not just with the mind, which the moon in Gemini is very good at, but also instinctually and soulfully. The moon in Gemini is always about articulating. And when it squares Neptune, we're trying to articulate things that we feel deeply. And on November 3rd, the moon in Cancer opposes Pluto at 8.28 p.m. Pacific time. It's void, of course, for almost four hours, and then enters Leo on November 4th, just after midnight at 12.21 a.m. This is a replay of the monthly opposition that we've been having between these two, which for the moment is often beginning the mooning cancer void, of course, period. The question is, are we getting better? at becoming a little more objective and in control of our feelings and our responses. The moon in Cancer is all feelings, and the Pluto in Capricorn is very impassive. So this is about persisting in being kind to tough characters who oppose us or accuse us of being too sensitive and that kind of thing. In this week's listener question, listener Carrie asks, when one person has a significant impact on someone's career or financial stability, which houses and planets do we look to for clues? For example, My midheaven and Pluto sit in the second house of someone I assist professionally. What other evidence might I find? Well, Carrie, thank you for that very insightful question. This is a question that brings us once more into the realm of synastry, a technique which compares the planets of two people in a relationship and how they impact one another's birth charts. I answered a question from listeners Suzanne and John about synastry in romantic relationships back in episode 127. So people who are interested in exploring those kinds of relationship dynamics might especially enjoy going back and listening to that episode. Here, we're going to just focus on synastry 
related to career and financial stability. We might find all kinds of chart connections with people who impact our careers and vice versa. The houses of the chart that are closely associated with finances are the second and the eighth. Venus is the planet associated with income and assets. Pluto tends to be connected with wealth generally. Now, generally, we say that the second house signifies what you have and how you earn for yourself and provide for your security, whereas the eighth house is more about how we receive support from or through others. For example, someone with Mars in their second house in the birth chart could be very motivated about earning their own income, maybe be very entrepreneurial, very driven, actually, in this area. Someone with Venus in the eighth house might still be a hard worker, but might find themselves primarily supported at some point by a partner or through living on investments or inheritance or government support. It's safe to say that if someone else's planets fall in one of these two houses of your chart, they are likely to have some kind of impact on how you earn and acquire more or helping you gain support. So the example you gave is a really good one. Your midheaven, which symbolizes your ambition, reputation, and persistence, and Pluto, which is the planet of wealth and power, are being used to help increase the income or prosperity of the person you assist professionally. Your own reputation, which is symbolized by the midheaven, is tied up with this person so that whatever one of you does has the potential to affect how the other is perceived in the world. Pluto is very powerful, but this kind of connection can also become a little bit complicated. There needs to be a very clear understanding between the two of you about each person's expectations and what they hope to gain from the relationship. Planets in one person's chart that make aspects to the other person's Venus in particular are very important because Venus rules money and assets in general. You might look at something like another person's Saturn being in a difficult aspect to your own Venus and expect that to mean that there will be conflict and possibly a sense of being judged or confined in the area of money, income, or self-worth. That could be, but it is also possible that the Saturn person helps the Venus person be more responsible and prudent and goal-oriented when it comes to money. So that's money. Now, for career, look to the 10th and 6th houses, as well as Mercury and Saturn. Look for career connections with people who connect with your Saturn or 10th house, or you with theirs. Saturn connections can feel oppressive. It really depends on the other planets involved. But Saturn can also lend discipline and perseverance. If you want someone to help you with your career, look for someone with planets that fall in your 10th house or connecting with Saturn 
just be careful that they're not trying to steal the spotlight from you or undermine your confidence. Now, the sixth house is connected with the workplace and might be important in a relationship between people who work together or who serve one another. An example might be someone whose sun, moon, Mercury, or Venus falls in your sixth house and maybe becomes your administrative assistant or is somebody who gives you your haircuts or manicures or facials or massages. Mercury is specifically about doing business with others. So someone who's Jupiter, for example, a very fortunate planet, is near the same degree and sign of your Mercury, can help you think bigger for yourself and expand your horizons. Carrie, I hope that helps, and I do thank you for the question. Sinistry is fascinating, but it's one of those areas of astrology that really needs careful analysis to help both people understand both the benefits and the possible drawbacks in the relationship. If you, Invisible Friend, have a question you'd like me to answer on a future episode, just leave a message of one minute or less at speakpipe.com slash bigskyastrologypodcast, or you can email me at april at bigskyastrology.com, and be sure to put podcast question in the subject line. Well, that's everything I have on my show sheet, so I'm going to wrap this one up. Thank you for listening to the Big Sky Astrology Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, be sure to subscribe or follow in your app of choice. Leave a rating or a review, and I hope that you'll help spread the word by telling an astrology-loving friend about the podcast. You can read show notes and full transcripts, and leave your comments about each episode at BigSkyAstropod.com. I want to thank everyone who's shown support for the podcast over the past year, and especially during my recent Podathon. On each episode, I'm thanking some of my financial donors by name. This week, let's give a Big Sky Astrology podcast shout-out to Kristen Jennings and Philip Spigner. Kristen and Philip, thank you so much for listening to the podcast and for supporting the show with your donations. If you'd like to support the show and receive access to my bonus episodes for the equinoxes and solstices, please go to BigSkyAstropod.com and make a contribution of $10 or more. You can make a one-time donation in any amount or become an ongoing monthly contributor. That's it for this episode. Join me again bright and early next Monday. And until then, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Thank you for listening. To learn more about April Elliott Kent, visit her website, BigSkyAstrology.com, where you can sign up for her newsletter, read her thoughtful essays, Find out more about her books and classes or book a personal astrology reading. That's all for today. 
If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to follow or subscribe to stay current with new episodes. And please leave a rating or review. You can follow Big Sky Astrology on Facebook or Twitter and Big Sky Astrology April on Instagram. Thanks again for being here, and we hope you'll join us next time. Thank you.